Hey, dealmakers, and welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Let's do this. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. This is the show for you. So our guest today is George Abro, and we're really going to focus in on construction today. Now, George, is, he's owned literally thousands of units and has sold thousands of units. He has scaled to a very high degree. Uh, he was also on, a, on our podcast at episode 242, if you want to see some of the backstory. But today, we're really going to focus on uh, not only scaling, but on construction. And this is one of those things where we really don't uh, focus on. In fact, we did early on as well until we realized we're actually in a construction business. So we're going to shine a light today on construction and how important it is to your business, even if you're just starting out. So we're going to get to that in just a second. A reminder that if you want to get into investing yourself, you want to invest passively, check us out at Nighthawk Equity. That's our investment company. We'd love to have a conversation with you. If you want to invest passively, that's at nighthawkequity.com. On the other hand, if you want to become active yourself, you want to become an entrepreneur, find deals, syndicate deals, then we'd love to have a conversation with you around our mentoring program. It's the best program out there that allows you to scale faster and avoid some of the bigger mistakes. Do your first deal in the first year. In fact, we guarantee it so that you can quit your job, become financially free in the next 12 to 18 months. That's the timeline that most of our students are, are on. So check that out at themichaelblanc.com forward slash mentor and schedule a call. Have a conversation with us. Shout out to Al Perez, who left us a review on Amazon, the yellow book. They says, very clear and to the point, I enjoyed the book and it gives away lots of information. I recommend to someone interested in investing in multi-units. If you haven't read the yellow book, it's the same title and name as this podcast, Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. It's a bestseller on Amazon. Check it out. With that, let's get our co-host here on the show, Garrett Lynch. What's going on? What's going on, Michael? Hey, so let's shine a light on construction real quick because, I mean, I, if I reflect back, you know, on our history with, with Nighthawk Equity, you know, as we started out, you know, we we kind of had a property manager kind of manage it, and then our project got a little bigger, so that didn't work anymore. Then we find the property manager that actually had a a, a development manager or project manager. They charged us extra for that, and that worked well for a while. But we got some very inconsistent results, both on the property management and on the construction. One was good, one wasn't so good. And we really struggled with the construction business. And I think looking back on and, and looking at some of our, our peers or people just getting out, my sense is that people don't pay attention to construction. I mean, we're very excited about raising capital and finding deals, and that's super exciting. And asset management is kind of the, the afterthought, and specifically construction is. And I know we we struggled with this early on. And I just want to I just want to talk about a little bit. How did we struggle with construction a little bit on just so people listening to this are paying more attention to the construction part of the business? We started off, I think, relying on the property management company to do construction. It was going like okay. And then I'd say maybe above average on that side. And and then you know the operations started to mess up and we're like, oh shoot, we have to keep this going because of the construction. And then when we pivoted to the new company, we didn't have any, we had to do these projects still, but we didn't have any construction arm because this company didn't have them. We're like, well, let's figure it out. <laughs> it's like, right. like so most things. They were a great property manager, didn't have a construction arm. 
right? Yep. So we, we were forced to go into the construction business at that point because we still had to, to operate our, our business plan, which is, hey, we're going to make this C-class look like a B-class, right? So this seems simple, but then you get into it and you're you're hiring GCs that you trust or you think you trust, then they do something weird and and you know people stop showing up or whatever it is all these all these problems present themselves and you know the bigger the project the more opportunity there is to either get beat up or to win because it's a large um we're spending you know projects now seven to eight million dollars on some of these projects right so you know people don't this is one part of the business what is our business model? our business model is go in find an old property like a house almost but it's an apartment complex, fix it up and it's worth more, right? But how do you do that? Well, there's construction involved. And so the bigger the projects go, the more involved it is, but we don't, people don't talk about it enough for some reason. And it's such a major component of a lot of deals that, that we deal with. And so we struggled with figuring out how to get the big deal, big construction projects done without really understanding how it should go and having to figure it out and bump our knee along the way. Right. So our progression really was, okay, great property manager didn't have a development or uh, construction oversight. So, well, that means that now we're going to bring in a general contractor and have them manage it. And and then of course they would report into one of us. And that works maybe well for one project, but when you have two or three going at the same time, and sometimes even in different geographies or or using different general contractors, now you got yourself a real complex project and it becomes more of a, a full-time position. And that's when we realized, my gosh, we need some oversight internally at Nighthawk. We need some oversight over the GC. So in other words, it wasn't just enough to have a GC run everything. We needed oversight. And that's when we hired a construction manager, really. And so what what happens is when you hire a proper manager and they have construction oversight, they will charge you five or 6% of the budget. And we were like, why don't we just charge that budget and use that money to pay for our own construction manager? So bring that, and this is a highly paid individual. This is a six-figure individual, right? Well, bring that person in-house. And so now they are overseeing the general contractors. I mean, that's, that was our pro- progression. Yeah, and if you think about like, Anything like so property management, the the reason that some people choose to go in-house with it is because then you have a hundred percent focus on your portfolio, right? Well, same thing with construction. If you hire a GC, they got all these other jobs going on, and you have to fight for their, you know, their attention essentially with other jobs happening. And and so someone has to manage that situation in general. There's other things happening behind the scenes, and then we're like, well, you know, let's let's just create our own company behind that. And we can start, we have a lot more bandwidth and a lot more flexibility on how we do these projects. And that's that's what's been the big game changer for us is now we have one guy, project manager, that runs a bunch of different contractors throughout the sites to make sure the jobs get done on time and in budget. Yeah. So with the bottom line for us, and I think maybe a lot of people listening to this, even if you've done a few deals or even scaled to a large level, a construction is kind of an afterthought. Well, we haven't really focused on it too much. There was It was a kind of thing that we did on the side. We didn't focus on the contracts, didn't really focus on scope of work and these things. And so it's something that we learned to really focus on. And I'd like to say now we're kind of in a construction business and we want to get 
kind of another perspective on that. And we was like, who could we bring on? And the name that came up was George Abro. And, and it's because he's been in the construction business through real estate for about 11 years. He actually got in the construction business through his house flipping business for similar reasons that we got in the construction business through multifamily. And it was a matter of scale. And he has scaled to a very large degree. So today we're just bantering together about how George is has scaled that construction business and some of the pitfalls that we've gone through and what he's tried and where he is right now. So the hope is that you guys listening to this are building this into your scaling plan. So as you start to, you've done your first deal and you're starting to scale your portfolio, that you start thinking about construction and addressing it so that you don't make some of the mistakes that, uh, that we have made and that George have made. So hopefully you guys enjoy this interview with George Abro. Let's go. George, welcome to the show today. <laughs> How you doing? And doing well. So it's been a little, been a little while since you were on the show. You were on the, on the show a little while ago, and a lot has happened since then. So get, get us up to speed. Give us a little background on yourself, George, for people who did not listen to that last podcast episode, and then catch us up to speed maybe over the last 12, 18 months. Sure. So short version, I've been in real estate for about 15 years full-time. Uh, real estate investor started with single family, kind of worked my way up to now just focusing on large multifamily, whether it's new development or existing. Started a construction company in that journey. It's been about 11 years since I started the construction company, and that was to scale the investments. It's been crucial. It's, it's really helped me scale, and, and I've been able to get into a lot of syndications because, because of that. And my focus on the, the CapEx and being able to, to deliver on the business plan. As far as portfolio goes at this point, acquired about right under 7,000 units and, and exited about 1,500 units. Yeah, that's incredible. Now, why did you start the construction company? You said 11, 11 years ago. So that was maybe before you got into multifamily? Or why did you start that, that company? Yeah, it was... It was when I was still doing single family and I was focusing a lot on fix and flips. I liked it. You know, I liked transforming the properties and obviously adding the value and then selling them. I actually didn't like managing them. I had a, a rental portfolio back then, but I enjoy the large multifamily a lot better than, than the small yeah. single. But the, so the construction came in because I was trying to scale it and the bottleneck I kept running into was finding a good contractor. We got burned a few times. I had some experience. Uh, my uncle owns a construction company. I worked with him for two years during college. And uh, being an engineer, I actually out of college with my electrical engineering degree, I went to work for UPS in what they called the engineering department. But really, I was the GC for UPS. So yeah, that, that's why I started it was to, to scale the fix and flips. And, and it worked. You know, we, we got up to about... 50 or so a year on just the fix and flips. And then as I transitioned over to new development and also existing multi, I changed the focus of the construction company as well. Now, what percentage of, you know, what percentage of your business is construction at this point? When you say construction, like new development projects or? Well, that's bad. Okay. So over your portfolio, how much, what percentage is, is new construction? And then how much is existing? Let's start with that. Yeah, so the new construction's maybe about ten percent, five percent. I keep it to one to two projects at a time. Yeah. Uh, so definitely, my my main focus is the existing multi. 
And then heavy CapEx construction is probably about at this point, you know, and that's changed a lot in the last 12 months. We, we've 12 to 18 months, we've taken down more A-class type deals, which still have some CapEx, but very minimal. I would say maybe 70% are heavy CapEx projects. Yeah, I mean, we found, I mean, we found ourselves in a similar position that you maybe found yourself. We, we kind of woke up one day and we're like, crap. We're in a construction business, right? Like we thought yeah. we're in the real estate business, but we found that we're actually in a construction business. And it was weird. It's like, man, we spend a lot of time on construction. And of course, initially, I think a lot of people do this when they get started. They will outsource a lot of the construction to either a general contractor or their property manager or a combination of both. And then like you experience in your, in your house flips, it's like you got these very mixed results. You yep. can't get really good. And so, you know, I think as you start scaling a little bit, construction becomes more of an issue and you recognize that in your, in your house slips as, as well. But what are some of the issues that you saw early on when you didn't have your own construction company? Like what were some of the issues you were running into as you were trying to scale? Yeah, I, th- I think it's very similar to property management, right? Like when somebody begins to scale in multifamily, a lot of the times you see the transition to in-house property management, and it's because it's harder to put your own systems and processes into play when you're you're hiring a third party. Same goes with the construction. You know, there's certain things you can put into play, especially if you're controlling the materials. That helps some, but it's also harder to find just labor. A lot of the GCs want to do the material and the labor. So I think it was mainly to be able to scale and, and, and produce the same quality product throughout our portfolio. The way I, th- I saw that was to bring it in-house. Yeah, Giorgio, you when you, you started out, you had, you, know, you had to scale the construction company. I'm just curious, how did you kind of figure out how you're gonna, who you were going to hire and what that was going to look like for you to make it work efficiently through that scaling process? So in the beginning, you know, I was the project manager, the everything, right? <laughs> the first bottleneck that I ran into was, was the project management. You know, there's only so many projects I can manage. So that was my, well, I take it back. My, my first was an assistant, right? So that, but I, I was still the main manager. Once I grew out of that, then it was, okay, I need to find a project manager that I can train to follow the same systems and procedures that I've put in place and run the project as well as I can, or maybe even better if they've got more experience than I do. So that, that was the first hire. And then, it, you know, it starts to trickle effect and you've got more back office because you got more projects. So you need to start adding on there. But I will say finding a good construction project manager is probably, at least in my experience, one of the hardest positions to find. Hey, I want to tell you about our mentoring program because I'm just excited at what our students' results are. We have students routinely do their first deal because they're working with a full-time syndicator. And that mentor is helping them do their first deal faster. That first deal is a lot bigger than if they did it without a mentor. And they avoid some of the biggest mistakes that can simply make you want to quit out of the business. So if that's interesting, if you you value mentorship, check out our mentoring programs at themichaelblanc.com forward slash mentor. You can schedule a call with us and see if mentoring is right for you. And uh, we look forward to having a conversation.
I couldn't agree with you more. It's kind of like a lot of the projects you're dealing with, right? They pivot around that that person, right? And so in our in our experience, we started out, I think, with some of the earlier projects, we were just relying on the property management company to do our construction. And you know, there's it's good in a sense where they can, you know, you you might have that synergy. And if the operations and the construction are both working. You know th- that could be a good thing. However, in in our first instance, we found that the operations were were not doing well, and because the construction was going well, we were holding on to the bad operations for a minute because we felt like we were tied in. So we quickly realized we're like, well, that's probably not the best idea actually. And so when we switched management companies, eventually we got into the with the new company. They didn't have a construction arm, so we were kind of forced to build our own. And that was like, we're like, well, this is really hard, but at the same time, gives us the freedom to be flexible. We don't have to rely so much on or worry about if the operations go bad, we can't make that pivot. So I think that that's the, and not, and not, not a lot of syndicators, I don't think everyone has the, maybe the ability to do that kind of in-depth construction. I mean, there's definitely people out there, but I think it does give you a competitive advantage and I'd like to hear about that with you. Like, what have you found as far as having that competitive management that looks in business? I agree with you 100%. A lot of the things you said, you know, one being bringing the construction in house allows management to worry about just management, right? The work orders and, and leasing and that type of stuff. Usually, when you're looking at a, at a property that needs a lot of capex, you're going to have less buyers. So, you know, less competition. And then it allows us to come in with a confident offer, not a lot of guessing, not a lot of, you know, we think we can get it done for this. It's no, we've looked at this. My team's looked at this. You know, we know we can get it done for this price. We can make a good offer and then hopefully land a deal. Yeah. And and part of part of it is you feel confident in your numbers. So if you're going into your CapEx budget. And you don't know construction, or maybe it's getting bid out and it's not the right fit or whatever it is, you can go in and get the money from the lender. Or if you're just doing cash capex, you can go in confident knowing that your numbers are correct versus you're going in with you know some budget that could be made up and you get into the project and oh no, you don't have enough money, or you know, things aren't turning out the way they thought. And so I think you know that's another part of it that at least what we found is has been helpful in that arena. So George, did you also pivot into doing like fee managed deals like third party construction or is it just all your own stuff? We do. I mean, okay, so before when I started the construction company, we it was maybe 50-50 it even started tilting a little more towards the third party. Right now that we're 100% focused on multifamily it's probably more 70, 30, 80, 20, you know, most of it is in-house projects, but we do like partnering with other investors that we're looking for those long-term relationships where we can step in and the investors maybe realize that, Hey, you know, giving it to the property manager probably is not the best thing, but they also don't want to take it on themselves. So we're kind of like the in-between. So yeah, really good relationships on the, on the third party but still we don't have to rely on the third party, which I think puts us in a nice position. 
I mean, as people are starting out, they're going to rely on their property manager for construction. And it depends a little bit on the scale of the construction. Smaller property, a lot of property managers can handle that. But as they get larger and they get heavier lift, sometimes they have a construction project manager in-house. And we've had that experience. And they will charge you 5 6% of the budget to oversee that. And we actually did that for, for a little while until we realized that we weren't really getting good results. We're like, you know what? Why don't we charge a 5 or 6% development fee? And now we will bring this project manager in-house, right? And that manager now will will manage every everything. So it's kind of a little bit of a journey that we were on. And and what you were saying, it is really hard to find a project manager. How have you gone about, and it sounds like you've been doing this for a while, so you've probably been working with at least more than one project manager. How have you been able to find that right project manager? What are you looking for there? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had, I don't know, 20 plus uh, project managers at least. You know, right now we've got four project managers on staff with some site supervisors. So, you know, that's a whole other position that kind of falls under the project manager, where if you've got a project manager managing several projects, it's nice to have some site supervisors to help them put eyes on the projects when they're not there. But, you know, finding that project manager, our interview process is is pretty long process. Several people in my staff including myself, interview the project manager. We're, we're looking, and this is almost for any position. So, so one is the individual. Do, do they have the same core values that we carry? Like, is it somebody I want to work with? Um, I, I've learned throughout the years that that's number one. If, if, I'm, if I'm not getting that feeling and, and, you know, through the process, the interview process, it's just not lining up, then forget it. Then experience, but at the same time, you don't want them set in their ways. At least we don't, because we have different ways of, of managing projects and we use a lot of software. And so, you know, sometimes a lot of experience and kind of old school way of doing things doesn't quite work for us. But so we go through a lot of questions and, and our interview process is very open-ended on a lot of the questions we ask and, and the things we we ask them to do and it's evolved through the years, but I mean, it, it works for the most part, you know, before it was a lot of hiring and, and having to fire. Now, usually when we hire somebody and they go through that process, they're, they're sticking around. So like, what's, what's like an open-ended question you would ask, put uh, you on the spot, George? No, it's all good, man. Our estimator gives you this. What's your next step? You, you got this project That's great. in two weeks. What's your next step? That's great. So you kind of like put, you plug them into like in the middle of a project or something or in somewhere in the process. Yeah. And, and that's see. one for like, if I want to know what they're doing and then there's some that I'll ask for an individual, like their core values and stuff. I'll just, you know, ask them a very simple, even like their goals or just, you know, maybe a generic question that you hear, but, but I shut up. Like I do not say another word. It's like almost uncomfortable silence until they start talking. I really want them to just start talking freely. Yeah, that's that's really good. How do you know if they're the one? How do I know? I mean, if if they check off the things I said, right? Like if if and and we discuss internally. So at, at the minimum, it's going to be my construction manager and myself, depending on the position. But at the minimum, it's going to be two people. So after we interview them, we discuss, we go through everything, we talk about the person. You know, do we feel like they fit? the company and our core values. 
And then we go to the experience factor and, and whether they can handle what the job entails. Thought back and forth. I definitely don't push my views or, or thinking like onto mm-hmm. my construction manager. Yeah, you, you ask them first, right? Yeah. Hey, yeah. what do you guys think? Same thing. Yeah. yeah. That's super smart. I'm curious. So the, the hardest part in my mind, at least in my opinion, of owning multifamily and trying to, you know, our business plan is we're buying properties that are in uh, great areas. We want to take them from like typically a C to a B. They're, they're decent lifts. Mm-hmm. We're putting in, you know, 35, maybe 40 a door in an overall construction. And, but the, the, the consistent challenge are the interiors, right? Where you, where the 100%. juice is. So talk to us about how do you navigate that? How does, what does that look like for you? Yeah. Interiors is, is by far the, the hardest part of it, right? Keep keeping up. Well, tell people why it's so hard first. <laughs> tell us what you do. Yeah. So, I mean, look, it's, it's hard for several reasons. One is finding the labor that, that can do it um, consistently and do it at a affordable price. Two is that the pace that you need to keep it at, right? I mean, you need to be able to do this quickly. It depends on the project, the type of project, but either way, you want to be able to turn the, the properties, I mean, the, the units quick, right? Some of that relies on the project manager, but a lot of it is finding the, the right crews. And then depending on if you're mobilizing somewhere else, I mean, I don't know if we want to go that far into it, but I know you guys do a lot of projects where you're not there physically, same as us. You know, we, we do have a lot of projects in Texas where, where I'm at, but we also have projects outside of Texas. So in that, in that scenario, we do have traveling crews. So we have crews that will come from Texas and they'll, they'll usually stay on the property unless it's uh, the occupancy is really high. Maybe we'll, we'll find something outside. And then the, the materials, getting the materials there, making sure there's so many things that can slow a project down. The last thing you want it to be is, is materials. Like you want to make sure they've got everything they need. And that's a whole other beast managing part of it. The beast. <laughs> it's, it's like, so th- what, what happens is if you do it wrong, you, you could get the blame game. And during COVID, there was a lot of issues going on where things would come in late or they wouldn't show up at all. And then you have, maybe you hire the labor and they're like, well, we can't work. And you're delayed two days. And then the project goes from taking, you know, maybe 21 or 30 days until to two months and they blame you and you blame them. <laughs> so, so that's some of the challenge when you try to match materials labor then, and then the inventory side of it as well. So I'm assuming you guys, you guys do quite a bit of that. Yeah. I mean, that's how we do everything. You know, we, day one, we're dropping our metal containers on site where we're getting the materials ordered and then getting our crews there and, and, They've got pretty much everything they need. We do have a site supervisor in case there's some materials that we need to go get. You know, one thing I didn't mention, which is another reason why interiors is is difficult, is the profit margins are horrible for a GC. You know, for for us to take on a third party work that's just interior units, I gotta really like you because <laughs> it's it's a lot of work for not a lot of money. <laughs> Yeah. So, and then we hear this a ton too, where we, we have contractors that they're like, well, yeah, it takes up so much bandwidth for us. I need so many guys to do these interiors. I don't make that much. Yeah. So we have to feed them a little, a few exterior deals 
to keep them interested because other if you give them only interiors, they're going to be like really either price gouging the heck out of you or they're they're just unmiserable. And so you know that's where it gets challenging is you have to you kind of have to have someone else where there's there's larger margins, right? If you're you're selecting people to do it. How many units are you guys doing like a month right now? A month? Over a hundred for sure. Maybe 150. That's a lot. That's that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's but George, you, you mentioned that you use a lot of software, which you look for, you know, maybe not, you know, people that are set in their in their in their ways. And that the question really I have is how do you track all this stuff and how do you hold your project managers accountable and how do they hold their subs accountable? What are some of the systems and the software that you use to manage that kind of scale? So we have a project management software called Builder Trend. That's what we use to manage the day-to-day. Our project managers or site supervisors are posting daily logs, telling us what got what got done, putting pictures, putting videos. That goes to internally our staff and then it also goes to the owner so it helps on that end with third party where we don't hear a lot from the clients if we're doing our our job communicating they're happy they're getting their their updates we it also has a calendar in there so our project schedule is in that same software gets adjusted if anything happens our change orders so we haven't really discussed change orders which Oh, we're um, getting there, another, George. <laughs> <laughs> another fun part of construction. All the change orders are housed in there and, and approved through that system. And then that's how we keep our project managers accountable. And then the, the subs within our agreements, they've got to finish within a certain amount of time. And that, that one's always a little tricky because... You know, there's the the blame game, like you said, right? That they're gonna blame something. So that's why I'm I'm very strong making sure that we, if we're responsible for materials, that the materials are there. They can't point fingers to that. There might be some weather delays here and there, but we can calculate that. And then, you know, we always it helps that we have a lot of projects, and that's really our leverage is like, hey, you need to get this done if you want to keep working with us. And if you don't deliver, well, you know, we've got other crews waiting, so. I think that really is what works more than anything. Yeah, that that leverage is so important. So, you know, we have these guys out there, they know we have a lot of money to spend across all of our sites. And so they see us pulling, you know, jobs from them and giving it to someone else, the, the drive is nuts. So they're more they're more apt to give us what we need in that circumstance. And so what we do is We'll get two different crews and we'll we'll kind of pin them against each other as far as the work quality and their timing. So if we have like 20 apartments to do, we'll give 10 and 10 and we'll run them at the same time and see who beats the other one out. And if this guy wins, we'll give him some more at a different site or something like that, just to kind of hold them accountable. One thing I do want to touch on are change orders because we just we just mentioned it, but one little trick that that happens all the time is you agree on like a contract price, let's say for your interiors. Get into the project. This could be for anything. It could be exteriors too. Get into it. And then all of a sudden you're getting change orders for this, this, oh, there's something missed in the scope or they found something and your budget gets blown out. And you had a budget that you thought was set up properly that you're, you're ready to build your base model on. And that's out the window because of these random change orders. How do you curb them? And how do you, how do you set yourself up so you don't get hit with a bunch of them? 
I think the, the first thing is you got to have a solid scope of work, right? And it, you need a, you can't just rely on the contractor building it for you. Like you've got to, it's got to be detailed. You've got to play a part in that and make sure that change orders are supposed to be unforeseen, right? There, there shouldn't be, oh, well, lighting wasn't in the scope, so it's not included. You know, that those type of change orders should never happen. So that's one, right? Making sure you've got a detailed scope of work. That's exactly what you want to be doing those units. And it's all spelled out very clear. And then two is, is looking for some of that unforeseen stuff. So you know, a lot of things that we run into are subfloor issues. You tear up the floors and then some of that lightweight concrete is, is all broken up. And we need to go in and do. So we try to pinpoint those things on the front end and kind of put a contingency there for that. And not necessarily using, hopefully you're putting in a contingency on your overall scope, but not even dipping into that, you know, just a separate contingency for, if we've got cast iron plumbing, we're going to put a a specific contingency for plumbing. We're also going to scope the lines and get a better idea of what we're looking at as well during due diligence, but we're going to put something aside for it. Yeah, that's, that's such a good point. We go in, so we've been starting with like our base scope and then we'll go in and walk each individual apartment, look inside the apartment, make sure that, you know, we either we're doing it all or, or most of the time it's hodgepodge, right? Like you're going to, you're going into past apartment complexes where different owners are doing different hodgepodge renovations here and there. So the chances of it being completely hundred percent, the base scope going in is probably low. Yeah. So then, then you got to, you know, maybe you want to save the appliances in there Well, that's, that shouldn't be, you shouldn't be charged for that. Maybe, you know, you want to keep the floors because the floors are in good shape and you're like, you know, this makes sense to keep them here. So that all needs to be scoped out for that specific unit and in detail. But if the problem is that if you go in and you miss one thing or something, something gets missed or you don't put in that allowance for floor level or, or whatever it is, these guys will come back. They'll try to get over on you. Oh no, this is a change order. See, we have to do this. So I couldn't agree more with you. That detailed scope of work really is the key and and doing pre-walks with that detailed scope of work. So you have complete visibility into the job that's coming and anything you have to know, like anything you leave off, there's a good chance they're going to try to bill you for it. And what are you going to say at that point? Well, like, what am I going to not finish a multi-million dollar project because the lights are broken. Ah, I guess I got to eat that. Right. And then that's the problem of what you get into yeah. with the change orders. I, I don't blame the contractor, right? Maybe it's right. I'm also on this side, but you know, it, it's things cost money, right? They, they can't do things for free. And, but you could have negotiated it up front. Right? Correct, that's the thing correct. that kills that's what I'm at. So, it, it falls so on. So they're to, making a higher yeah, margin yeah. on yeah. your mess ups by not calling it out. Right. right? So right. you could have said, oh, the lights are included in that. And they'll be like, all right, I guess I'll make, you know, you know, a couple grand less, but I'll add the lights. Right. And then they would have agreed to that up front. Now they just made that margin and you have to eat the cost. Right. So you could negotiate. Here's a good tip, right? Is we don't do cost plus because that's a nightmare. Like when we give a, an estimate, you know, it's a lump sum. And what is cost plus? Cost plus is I'm going to charge you exactly what I'm, I'm paying plus a profit percentage. But to do that, I've got to give you all the backup to everything that I'm paying. And, it, and it's just very time consuming and tedious. 
so we do a fixed price, but we have a separate where it says on the change orders, we'll do a markup. So on a change order, I'll show you what I'm paying plus whatever that markup is. And, and we can negotiate that on the front end. So that's another, I still think you should have a detailed scope. Don't get me wrong, but that's another angle you can take too. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a great point. Real quick, one more question. How important are contracts and why are they important into the job that you get yourself into? And, okay. So I'll, I'll say something that I've seen for years, and this was with the single family investors all the way to the multifamily investors. For some reason, they take construction very lightly. Like, you know, the, the scope of work, the contract, you know, when we're buying these, con- these, these apartments, you know, we've got our agreements that are really thick. We've got our loan agreement that's really thick. But then our construction agreement, we don't put a lot of thought into. And, and same thing with the scope. It's not very detailed. I'm not saying everybody, but I've seen it with a lot of investors. So I think it's really important, you know, as important as your operating agreement to, to your business. I mean, it's, it's, if things go wrong, that's what you're going to look at is your agreement and what it says in there. You should know what it says and you, sh- and you should make sure it's covering all aspects. Yeah, it, it's very easy for now. You can just sit back as a property owner and you say, you know what? If they screw things up, I'm not paying them. Okay. That's not really the case because contractors have the ability to lien your property. And yep. then they can also sue you if they, they want to lien. So they have leverage in that regard where if they don't agree, if you guys don't agree on what's owed at the end of a project and you don't have an airtight contract, and and I've made this mistake before. It's a he said, she said situation. And next thing you know, okay, great. Well, I'm going to lean you. And then they can just lean whenever they want. They, it's the silliest thing ever. We can't, there's nothing us as property owners can do about it. We're just like, oh, great, a lean. Now we have to spend money to, to try to put a bond over it so it doesn't mess with title. Every, and- every subcontractor that works on our property signs a lien release. Mm-hmm. As they get paid, you know, it should be, Simple practice. Yeah, absolutely. Practice. Yeah, totally. But you'd be surprised. So, so the the lien they they should all sign conditional lien waivers. Everybody should be signing that just just to make sure that you're not getting lien. But you could get into a situation, and the next thing you know, the contracts would dictate the rules of the engagement. Don't have it. There, these things can can come back to bite you. So, it's it's a crazy crazy side of the business. I, I think, you know, what you said, George, about, you know, people aren't taking it as seriously as they take the loan agreement or the, the, even, you know, the, the company agreement with their, their equity, all those things. Where's the construction agreement? Say, so this is, we're entering into big contracts, large amounts of money are being traded. Right. And, and so I think it's so important, George, man, it's been so great to talk to you. I wish we had more time but we don't, but tell everyone how they can get a hold of you if they, they want to. Yeah. Our website has got a bunch of information on there. If they go to elevatecig.com, or if they want to shoot me an email and say, and say that they heard me on this podcast, I can send over some free content. I've got, let me think, I've got a how to hire a GC. I've got a bunch of checklists, due diligence and other stuff that, that goes with CapEx. So my email is George or Jorge, J-O-R-G-E at elevatecig.com. Awesome. George, 
Thanks so much for coming on the show again, man. It's always a pleasure to have you. And it's, it's awesome to see the, the amazing work you've been up to. Yep. Appreciate you guys. Always fun. I mean, to me, Gary, it just shines a light on the fact that, you know, we didn't really pay attention to construction. It was always like, well, let's do this. And then it didn't work and we'd solve the problem. Let's do that. Right. It's like, it's like, had, had we known what we now know or had a conversation with George, like literally five years ago, we would have gone, oh my gosh, we can't just have the proper manager manage this construction. We can't just hire a GC and think that everything's going to go well. We need to figure out how do we bring that function in house because it's so absolutely critical to the business. Yeah. I think, I think it's, you know, he touched on a lot of things that, you know, we're entrepreneurs. So we're going to go in and we have a problem. We're going to solve it. And, you know, we basically jumped off the cliff and built the plane on the way down. That's kind of how I look at it. And so now to, to a point where we're at a, we're at a stage where the plane's flying and, you know, but we didn't know enough <laughs> in the beginning, probably how to, how to get these things rolling properly. And I think, you know, one of the big things that we touched on that I think is is so important is to understand, you know, how you're going to essentially get your interiors done because a lot of people's business plans. And if you want the competitive advantage in the market, you got to be good at interiors and it's the hardest part of the business. So some of the things that, you know, he mentioned with just getting your software in alignment, using some kind of software to get the calendar going, make sure that your labor show up on time, make sure you're managing everything. I mean, those skills, they have to be built. And it's it's so pertinent. Everybody has to figure out how to do the interiors if you and most of your business plans. And so you, you can offset them by being more a little bit more conservative in your modeling if you're not good at that. And then and working your way through it. Or if you are good at it, then you know you can push things a little bit more. You know, by being proactive and know about things, things, it really saves a lot of time and a lot of money, a lot of headache. Like, for example, just a basic thing of creating scope of works. We didn't really have a very incomplete scope of works. And then we're like, well, we didn't put on the fact that, you know, if if the light switches aren't working, well, clearly you have to get them to work because any functioning apartment unit must have working light switches. Well, shoot, it wasn't in the scope of work. Well, they're going to charge us for it because we were dumb enough not to put in the scope of work. So, so there's a lot of friction with your contractor for the scope of work. Then we had, you know, poorly written contracts that, you know, when things didn't go so well, like George said, everybody looks at the contract. Well, it was either silent on the matter or, you know, it addressed it in a, in a, in a wrong way. And again, conflict, right? And so being proactive about these, spending a little bit more time up front, putting the software and systems in place, putting the contracts in place. I mean, why do we not spend so much time on the contracts when we when we pay an attorney tens of thousands of dollars on the real estate contract and the and the loan document, and yet we don't do it on things like the the you know on the construction part. So what I'm saying is let's pay more attention to that kind of stuff up front, and also in your syndication, one of your partners has to be focused on construction. It's such a critical part of the of the business. What other advice do you have here before we close it out? Yeah, I'd say that. It is something like anything that you as, as an entrepreneur can, can figure out. But I, the biggest thing that you need to do is you need to add as much cash in your deal as it absolutely can hold, knowing that things are going to not be perfect with your construction because it, it never is. There's a lot of people involved, a lot of moving parts, costs of construction, supplies and materials will change. They will likely go up. In, especially in this inflationary environment. So 
add as much padding in your deal and as much cash as you possibly can when you're going in so that you can help avoid some of these mistakes as, as they come up and it doesn't kill your whole operation, doesn't kill your whole business plan, and it doesn't upset your investors. So every once in a while, we're going to talk about the scaling part of syndication business. A lot of times we talk about getting how to do your first deal, and that's very important. But as we found at DealMaker Live in June, we actually had about two-thirds of people have done at least one deal. Therefore, we've started putting a lot more content to help you guys scale your portfolio. And this is an example of that. So pay attention to your construction, build it into your scaling plan, and take some of this advice as you build your syndication business. Hope you guys found that useful. Catch you guys next episode. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, head over to themichaelblanc.com vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault.